you are listening to Give Me the Bible with Len. Today's program is entitled Singing. Hello my radio friends, it's good to be with you to share God's Word again. This is Give Me the Bible, program number 117. Have you ever wondered why people want to sing? As far as I know, there is no evolutionary reason given for this human activity. In fact, singing is the highest form of oral expression that human beings have. Normal talking, that's prose, is the baseline form of expression. Poetry is higher, and the highest is singing. By the way, probably the deepest form of oral expression is prayer. People sing when they're very happy or deeply emotionally moved. It's interesting to compare what songs were popular half a century ago to what the popular songs are today. I venture to suggest that the majority of songs of yesteryear were about love, about admiration of some boy or girl, or about a breakup between the boy and girl. I further suggest that modern songs are less about love and are more about things. It seems to me that the emotion and romance is missing from much modern music. Singing is a natural human response to significant emotional experiences. And singing's been around for a long time, not just for centuries, but for millennia. The Bible records certain times and events where people broke out in song, and it records the reasons and the words of many of those songs. The first one is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 15. It's called the Song of Moses. You may well know that for about 400 years, the Israelites were in Egypt and had to work as slaves on some of the big infrastructure projects. It's quite possible that Israelite slaves were used to construct some of the pyramids and sphinxes that have survived in Egypt for several thousand years. Anyhow, God called Moses to lead the Israelites out of Egypt. The Egyptians didn't want the Israelites to go as they provided cheap labour, as they were slaves. But God wanted his people to be a free people, and caused Egypt to be devastated with a series of ten plagues until the king of Egypt, the pharaoh, finally let the people go. It's estimated that about two million people, 
along with their livestock and other possessions, left Egypt heading east. Straight after they were gone, the Pharaoh had a change of heart and decided to take his army, especially his cavalry and charioteers, to go and round up the Israelites and force them to return to Egypt. But, with the Egyptian army breathing down the necks of the Israelites, God performed a stupendous miracle and opened up a pathway through the Red Sea. All the Israelites were able to cross safely on dry ground, but after they were across, the Egyptian army attempted to cross the same way. But then God reversed the previous miracle and the waters closed up again, drowning the entire Egyptian army while the Israelites stood on the far shore and saw it all happening in front of their eyes. I realise that there are many sceptics who make light of this story recorded in the early chapters of Exodus, but sections of Egyptian chariots, including their wheels, have been found in the Red Sea, authenticating what the Bible had always said. And I've personally spoken with an archaeologist who has done over 100 dives in the Red Sea and has photographic evidence showing exactly what I've just described. If you wish to know more about the crossing of the Red Sea, contact us through the information given with each program and we'll be able to help you. Back to the Israelites. Can you imagine how they felt standing there on the eastern shore of the Red Sea, petrified with fear as they witnessed the Egyptian army coming to get them? And then can you imagine how they felt as they saw the sea sweep back and all their enemies drowned? I think they would have felt much the same as the people in France, Holland, Belgium and the United Kingdom felt when it was announced that the Second World War was over. Here are the first few lines of the song that all those Israelites sang. It's recorded in Exodus chapter 15. I will sing a song to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and its rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. What a song that was, with hundreds of thousands raising their voices in gratitude to God for saving them. It was a song of praise to God for his miraculous de deliverance. And that is a pretty good reason for singing, don't you think? Have you ever listened to birds singing in the early morning? I have, and it gladdens my heart just to hear them. The most significant occasion for me 
was when my family and I were on a camping holiday in an area between Wilpena and Arkarula in South Australia. We had set up our tent late in the day near a dry creek lined with paperbark trees. When morning came, we were greeted with beautiful bell-like bird calls that rang up and down the creek. It was so beautiful, and the birds seemed to be full of gratitude and joy to see the light of a new day. And I imagine those Israelites were full of gratitude for having been saved from the Egyptians, and I imagine they would have been extremely joyful that they were free, no longer in bondage as slaves. I want to share with you something more about this song later in the program. Many people really enjoy reading and studying the Psalms in the Bible. Those Psalms are poetry set to music and were sung during religious services and festivals for centuries. If you look up the Psalms, you will usually find who composed the Psalm and the title of the composition. A number of the Psalms were written by David, one of the kings of the Israelite nation. Often the Psalmists expressed gratitude to God for his great acts of mercy, for his blessings and for his forgiveness. Those Psalms put into words what many people these days often would like to express, but don't quite know how to do it. Take, for example, the first few lines of Psalm 27, which say, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? I really enjoyed reading the Psalms in Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of the Bible, The Message. As I read, I used a marker pen and highlighted the passages that stood out for me. I recommend you do the same. In the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, is recorded what happened on the night when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. It concerned the shepherds who were guarding their flocks out in the fields at night. Spending the night out in the open never happened during the winter, as it would have been too cold. And that's one good reason to figure out that Jesus was not born on December 25, as the animals would have been taken to an enclosure where they could, in safety, huddle together and keep warm. The shepherds witnessed something that very few people have ever witnessed. An angel spoke to them, telling them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David, that's Bethlehem, a Saviour, who is Christ the Lord. 
And that's found in Luke 10. But there's more. The Bible goes on to say, And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The Bible doesn't actually say that the angels were singing, but it is most probable that they were. This would have been an angel choir, and what wonderful music would have rung in the shepherd's ears. I've heard the singing of some fantastic choirs, but this music would have been out of this world. The harmonies and melodies would have been glorious and inspirational. But uh, why the singing? Was there anything significant to think as to sing about? You bet. Those angels would have been singing about a wonderful thing that was happening to the people on planet Earth. That wonderful thing was that the Saviour had come. He had been born and would eventually take on himself the punishment for sinners, thus providing a means for forgiveness and that people could enter into eternal life. That was and is fantastic news. No wonder those angels were excited. No wonder that the shepherds were excited. And it is something that we can be excited about also. It's time for a break. We'll go on straight afterwards. For every drop the rain falls, a flower grows. I believe that somewhere in the darkest night, a candle glows. I believe for everyone who goes astray, someone will
today's program, I mentioned that there was something else to say about the Song of Moses. It is to do with a future event, something that has not yet happened, but the Bible prophesies that it will happen. We read about it in Revelation chapter 15. The prophet John has written, Then I saw another sign in heaven, and I saw something like a sea of glass mingled with fire, and those who have the victory over the beast, over his image and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold. They sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, that's Jesus Christ, saying, Great and marvellous are your works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy, for all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. And so here the scene is presented. It's a scene in heaven where the redeemed, the saints, or in other words, those who are saved, are gathered together before God and with harps and voices gloriously sing together in praise to God. That will be some choir, and I want to be part of it. But did you notice the title of the song? It's called The Song of Moses and the Lamb. Can you remember the reason why those Israelites broke into song after they crossed the Red Sea? It was a song of gratitude and deliverance. The same will be with the song that the prophet John wrote about. It will also be a song of gratitude and deliverance. We will lift our voices to God because he has delivered us from the worst enemy of all, Satan, the one who wants to have us in bondage as slaves to sin, as slaves to his will. He is the one who worked through the beast, that religious power that wants us to conform to its authority. He is the one who has worked through his image, Protestantism, that meekly does the bidding of that other corrupt religious power. Satan is the one through whom the Roman Church has set up a mark in opposition to the will of God. And in case you still don't know what the mark is, it's Sunday worship. The Roman Church claims authority because it changed the day of worship from the seventh day of the week, Saturday, to the first day, Sunday. And Satan is the one behind the beast, that religious power that has the number 666. Don't be fooled. Satan is doing a terrible work here on planet Earth. 
He's deceiving people left, right and centre. And all the time is using man-made institutions to do his dirty work. You see, Satan is a liar. He was a liar in the beginning and he hasn't changed. The scene pictured in Revelation 15 is one where the redeemed sing their hearts out to God for what he has done for them. Because of what Jesus did for mankind, a way of escape was provided. Instead of being subjugated to the devilish will of Satan, they are freed and are able to have something that they would never otherwise have, eternal life. And, my dear friends, that's what the gospel message in the Bible is all about. It's about being made free, free to live the abundant life that God offers. It's about being free to live according to God's way, being free to be true and holy, being free to obey our consciences and being free to serve God who loves us so very much. As I think about the glorious day when the saints in heaven sing the song of Moses and the Lamb, I almost get shivers up my spine. That will be a glorious occasion, and I want to be there as part of that song. And, dear listeners, I want you to be there too, saved by the precious blood of Jesus. Heaven will be lonely without you there. Won't you make a decision today to give your life to Jesus, to do his will and to live in and for him? Won't you make the decision to be in that choir that sings glory to God and sings about our deliverance. Hey, be there, won't you? That's it for today, though, although I'd love to spend much longer on this theme. And so, until next time, I wish you much hope and joy and peace.